What's up? This is the U Rift podcast. I'm Jason Louv, and I'm sitting here with Jeffrey Long at the Annenberg Innovation Lab at the University of Southern California. And I am about to try the Oculus Rift uh, DK1, the first developer kit, which is uh, 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 not the, the newest one, but unfortunately the new one is still a little bit buggy. So I'm going to get the, uh, the DK1 experience. Jeffrey, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, thank you very much. So <clears throat> maybe can you describe a little bit about the work that you're doing here? So the Annenberg Innovation Lab is a high-energy, fast-paced think-and-do tank that's essentially looking at the future of uh, media, entertainment, society, culture, uh, and kind of where all those things intersect uh, within the next three to five years. So we're housed inside of the Annenberg School of Communications and Journalism. So a lot of the work that we do is thinking specifically about you know, how people communicate uh, a little bit more than necessarily what they use to communicate, right? So, it, so we do a lot of thinking about you know, the, the cultural aspects of things. Um, and the, the, the second part of that is, of course, the journalism side. You know, so we've been thinking a lot about you know, how do some of these new screens like the Oculus Rift, uh, how, how will those change the way the news works? Excellent. So you're really looking at the Oculus, not from the perspective of, wow, Halo looks awesome on this, but more from the, uh, the, the wider ramifications this is going to have on society. Yeah. I mean, I have a, a long history in video games. So I came to join the, the lab here just last year. Uh, before that, I was at Microsoft for three years, and I was at uh, MIT for five years before that. And so I've been looking at this future of entertainment and storytelling, and especially in the video game space, for the better part of a decade at this point. Um, but especially right now, the, the thing that really fascinates me about the Rift is the potential that it's got, the, the virtual reality potential, um, beyond just video games. Because you're right, Halo's going to look amazing when we start playing in 360 degrees. But what happens when news starts moving into virtual reality? What happens when theater or music or uh, even feature films start moving down that space? I mean, that's kind of really what I'm, I'm more interested in. Excellent. So <clears throat> you really think this is going to have a, a, a catastrophic effect on, on traditional media? Catastrophic, I think, is the, isn't exactly the word. Uh, transformative is definitely the word. I mean, in the same way that you know, radio didn't exactly kill the – or video didn't kill the radio star. Uh, radio uh, uh, is still around. It's just – transformed into things like podcasts. So to see where media is going after these this next generation of new screens like virtual reality uh, become mainstream, it's just going to be an evolution. It will be a transformation, but I don't think it will be a devastation. Okay. So uh, what, what kind of time frame are we looking at here, do you think, before uh, uh, A, this starts rolling out for consumers, and B, before we start seeing wide-scale uh, adaption? Well, almost anybody can get a, a developer kit right now. And as as we've talked about, um, the DK2 is a, uh, it's brand new. It's still rolling out. And so uh, we actually have one here at the lab, but I'm still getting the, the bugs worked out uh, in our installations right. here, which is why I'm showing you the DK1 today. Um, but there are enough people playing in this space and enough people that basically smelled money uh, when Facebook acquired Oculus uh, uh, for the big bucks that I think the rate to adoption and the rate to mainstream release has just been radically accelerated. I mean, the number of people that we're looking at that are exploring this kind of stuff right now is extremely exciting. So I would say, I would say not Christmas this year, sure, but maybe Christmas next year uh, might be the first major wave of consumer uh, mainstream virtual reality headsets that we've seen since, uh, like, Nintendo's Virtual Boy back in the day. <laughs> I remember the Virtual Boy all I, too well. I promise you it's a much better experience now. You know, I just watched the original commercial for the Virtual Boy the other day, and it's 
as terrifying as I remember. It's like a <laughs> this kind of like post-apocalyptic Johnny Mnemonic landscape nice. where it's all in red and a virtual boy is like chasing this kid over a hill <laughs> and it looks like, I don't know, War of the Worlds or something. And it, it finally catches him and attaches itself to his face against his will. Oh, like, wow, I really hope some VP of marketing got fired over this because <laughs> it scares the shit out of me still. Well, apparently Ridley Scott was working for them back in the day. The, the virtual reality face huggers. Um, anyway... Um, yeah, so uh, the most exciting thing about the, the virtual reality stuff right now is how the new technology, uh, or the latest waves of new technology are now combining to create virtual reality experiences and hardware collections that are going to be a lot more affordable than they were back in the day. So when you had the, as just you said, you know, when you had the virtual reality or the, the, the virtual boy, Nintendo's virtual boy, right. um, those were experiences, um, ironically, much like the one I'm having right now, where I'm kind of bent over a table, you know, talking into a microphone, um, you had to bend down and push your face into this, this, uh, headset that was on a stand, right? On the basic little, what, eight inch, you know, microphone style stand. Um, and then the experiences in it were, yeah, pretty much black and red, uh, and not comfortable, not a lot of fun, but extremely interesting. They were really, uh, I remember how transformative and how, how neat it felt you know, to try that out back in the day, even though it wasn't a really great experience. Right. So how much more awesome is it now where we finally have, you know, true immersive VR? Um, significantly more awesome. Um, <laughs> now, but keep in mind that when, when people say virtual reality, uh, people instantly kind of assume that you're talking about things like Star Trek's holodeck. It's not that. Um, largely because uh, there's two main schools of virtual reality development right now. I mean, the first okay. is... Um, uh, you can kind of understand the, the, the distinction between them as almost the distinction between animation or video games and live action film. So the first one is, uh, virtual reality experiences that are built using video game engines like Unity, right? And those experiences are similar to something like Halo, something like Doom, um, where you really are using a game controller or a keyboard in order to walk through an environment. Uh, new technology is coming online, uh, like these... Uh, basically uh, treadmills, 360-degree treadmills. So you put the headset on, then you go walking through them, and you can, for all practical intents purposes, walk through the space. Um, but in order to walk through a space and interact with stuff, I mean, right now, you basically have to use these kind of video game engines. The second way of developing 360-degree content, uh, which is what I'm going to show you here in a minute, uh, uses 360-degree cameras, and it's essentially just shooting live video footage. Okay. And so those kinds of cameras are... Uh, are being made by people like Geonaut, uh, Bubblecam, Jaunt, right. uh, and a lot and of And Jaunt, these... just to interrupt you, Jaunt mm -hmm. is the startup that just got funded by Google That's for right. something like, uh, well, $27 million, not all of which was from Google Ventures. But, mm -hmm. but So there's serious money going there's into this. There's serious money going into this. Um, and again, you know, when uh, anybody drops $2 billion uh, of rights to check for $2 billion or something, everybody else is going to sit up and take notice. That, that being Facebook. Precisely. Right. Um, and so those kinds of experiences uh, really are. Uh, Do you ever go to Disney World and you you go into like kind of the, the dome theater, you know, where the, there's the video literally all around you? The uh, the Bucky Fuller geodesic yeah, uh, IMAX. Like yeah. I have actually never been to it, but I've been to to. Uh, it's a there was one in San, or there is still one in San Diego. So uh, uh, I've been to a smaller version of that. Mm -hmm. um, well, so it's it's kind of that same thing where basically you have these cameras that look like a disco ball with a bunch of uh, GoPros, you know, bolted to the outside of it. Um, the new ones are significantly more complicated than that, I promise. Um, but that's kind of what they look like. And so what happens is you wind up getting all these different uh, bits of video footage uh, from different angles that then get stitched together in the in the software 
so that when you're looking around, you know, the hardware that we're looking at is essentially um, uh, uh, displays that are not that dissimilar from the ones that you see on your cell phones uh, with accelerometers that are not that dissimilar from the ones you find in like a Wiimote. And that's what I'm talking about when I say that this new generation of uh, virtual reality experiences is really made possible by the widestream uh, or the, 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 the widespread mainstream adoption of these kinds of you know, new tech. Right. Okay. So to make those kind of accelerometers super cheap, to make those new high def uh, uh, screens like the ones that just got announced. Uh, imagine this particular uh, uh, hardware with the new uh, Retina HD displays that I, uh, Apple announced. Uh, so when okay. recording this, they literally just announced it a few hours ago. Right. Um, that's this kind of stuff that's going to push these things towards becoming more and more immersive. However, okay. those live action video streams you're not going to be able to move around in those places the way you might think of if you talk about Star Trek's holodeck, right? You're still only going to be able to stay in one place and look around for uh, 60 degrees. So you won't be able to walk through Precisely. virtual environments. You'll just be able to look around as if you were stationarily sitting in one of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nor will okay. you be able to interact with those environments like uh, in... In Star Trek, you know, we have Data and Geordi uh, doing the Sherlock Holmes and Watson. But that's coming, right? I mean, they have glove peripherals I'm and power glove sure looking things can. and that type of well, but, but keep in mind that in order to do that, you're going to have to be able to capture all possible interactions, hmm. you know, in video, not just in, in high-def rendering. Um, you will be able to do it in really high, high, high-def uh, uh, cartoons, Okay, you know, but not necessarily in film. So hmm. you'll get, you'll, you'll probably get virtual reality experiences that start to feel more like the... the the video clips in uh, and next generation video games like Assassin's Creed Unity okay. uh, or those kinds of things. Um, but live action film, probably not. Hmm. Uh, or not live action um, interactive film? Not really. But you'll still be able to have uh, 360 degree films. Well, so you will be able to do 360 degree films. The other possibility actually gets to become a little bit more like um, the Diamond Age. So... Uh, Neil Stevenson uh, mm -hmm. talking about uh, these these uh, these interactive books where the only reason they're truly interactive is because there's an actual live player on the other side. So ah. um, the next generation of video chat or telepresence, you know, you'll be able to do that. You'll probably be able to interact with a live person from the other side of the planet okay. with a little bit of lag. I'm sure that's what Facebook is most interested in. You better believe it. Yeah. So the the next generation of um, community conversations and things, uh, the, the next gen Warcraft so to speak, um, will probably knock your socks off. I'm sure trolling is going to be awesome when that happens. I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, awesome. So so basically, what we're what we're really talking about is is you know 360 degree film, video, animation. Yeah. Right. Um, but what becomes interesting when you start to play with this kind of stuff is you start to realize. Um, what the uh, the affordances of the devices are and what uh, cinematography starts to mean when you start talking about 360-degree filmmaking. So jump cuts, for example, will make you really sick really fast. Ah. Um, and what you also realize is that... So one, so one of the things I'm building here at the lab is uh, a project called Lighthouse in the Woods, okay. uh, which is a proto-prototype for what it might feel like when you are having a, uh, telling a story in the connected home. So you put on the virtual reality headset and you find yourself in a room with a bunch of picture frames around the outside. And uh, this voice starts telling you the story about his family and how they were charged with protecting this lighthouse that's located out in the middle of a forest. And of course, as these stories go, they were forbidden from ever setting foot in the lighthouse. So uh, at the fateful uh, day that the story is unfolding, uh, his cousin, no, he and his cousins are all gathered around their grandfather. And this, this one bratty little cousin 
uh, challenges. What is this? You know, why, why would there ever be this lighthouse located in the middle of a forest? Um, and the grandfather basically tells her to shut up and stop asking questions. And she throws a tantrum, runs out of the house, uh, runs out into the forest, opens up the door of the lighthouse, runs inside and slams the door behind her. When the voice is introducing all the characters of the family, all the members of the family, those picture frames light up around the room, right? And when she runs into the lighthouse and slams the door, half of the family members fall dead because of the curse and half the picture frames wink back out, right? And so the guy continues to tell the story about how the rest of the family falls victim to the curse. And one by one, those picture frames wink back out. Hmm. And so what I was really trying to explore with this concept is how might you tell a story with smart picture frames and a connected home? Right? So a series of, of connected screens around your living room and then a series of speakers. Um, and what I started playing out... We're talking about in the real world? Or oh, yeah, real world. Within yeah, yeah, a virtual yeah. world. Okay. No, the real world. Wow. So okay. I built the demo in the Rift in order to capture that sense of 360-degree immersion. Okay. Right? Um, but the, the what I started discovering really, really quickly was that, and perhaps not unsurprisingly, the, uh, there's a lot in common with trying to tell stories in 360 degrees with video game design, where you're trying to figure out how to direct somebody's attention in a particular place at a particular time. So we started, when, when I first built this thing, um, it was basically just a, a narrator telling the story and the room changing. But in order to direct their attention uh, in the right places, I then employed a bunch of my friends who were voice actors uh, to play different roles of the different characters and then embedded those sounds, you know, coming from the different picture frames to tell you when to look at that particular character and then embedded little sound effects and little simple lighting effects, in, again, to direct their attention. And so what I started realizing was I'm not necessarily building a movie so much as I am building something like Disney's Haunted Mansion. Okay. It's more of an, um, of, a, of, a, of an immersive place. So you think that's a more productive way to think about these virtual environments than true VR? At least for these, yeah, um, okay. for this first wave of stuff. But again, that's kind of what I'm interested in because this whole project had a lot more – what I was trying to explore was – what happens when these things are less like video games and more like immersive theater? Right. Um, so that to have the story unfold all the way around you is a lot more like a kind of inverted theater in the round. Okay. So, um, so in the more filmic, you know, uh, filmic, filmmaking kind of things, um, I'm starting to think that maybe what we'll wind up with is things that are more like 180 degree filmmaking sent 360 degrees. Right. Filmmaking. So you're just sitting there and you're looking ahead of yourself, but left to right. It's going to turn down, all the way around. Turn all the way around. That's right. right. That makes sense. That makes sense. I can see that definitely happening. Mm -hmm. We'll tell you what, before we get too far ahead of uh, ourselves, why don't we do the demo? Because I'm means. very, very excited about this. This is, <laughs> I've been, uh, 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 waiting for this for, uh, you know, 20 years actually since, <laughs> since, uh, since I saw wild poems. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what we're going to do, um, here, we're going to put this on your head. Yep. We're going to put this on your head. Hold this. Okay. This thing looks like a giant. Oh dear God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I have this gigantic box on my face and I'm looking at, uh, what am I looking at? You I'm... should be seeing a, a gentleman with a microphone. Can you see that? Okay, I'm seeing, uh, yeah, it's a static image. I'm seeing it, I'm looking around yeah. and seeing a guy with a microphone. It's a little, it's the frame refresh rate seems to be very choppy. Yep. And uh, there's a, a cursor hovering in the middle of it. Oh, let, me, let, <laughs> let me get rid of that for you. That'll be significantly. Uh, uh, okay, I think this might need to be tightened a little bit. Oh, oh, oh yeah, okay. Uh, let's see. Where are you, sir? We are tightening up the Velcro. 
Is that better or worse? Uh, okay, very good. Is that all right? All right. Yeah. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put these headphones on your head. All right? You can okay. adjust those as you choose. All right. So, yes, Ready? it's very... So, again, this is the DK1, first one. So, the, the frame refresh rate, which I believe they improved, is, is very choppy. But uh, that has been fixed in the DK2. Is that is that correct? It's better. Yeah. Um, so, what I'm showing you right now is a 360-degree music video. Okay. Um, by disclosure, the song is called Latch. And the application is uh, the Total Cinema 360 Oculus Player. Ready? Yes, indeed. I have hit play. Okay. I'm seeing a band I would never see in real life playing their instruments. And they have Scottish accents. So, so basically I'm able to look around, uh, yeah, 360 degrees and see the audience and the performers. I'm actually going to take the headphones off because okay. it's a tad, it's a tad disorienting to talk and listen at the same time, but <laughs> okay. So I feel like I'm at a, at a bad concert, but it's in virtual reality. That's very exciting. And this band is, is not so great, but <laughs> But, uh, wow. Uh, okay, so it doesn't really feel like 3D. I, I feel like I'm looking at, um, I'm not sure I can, I have depth perception. Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of looking at a, you know, I'm, it's like I'm in the middle of a TV screen. I can look around 360 degrees. Is that accurate that there, this is not displaying depth perception? Uh, it's got a little to it, but you're right. It you, has you a can... little bit. It's hard to yeah. pick up on. So it's kind of like I'm I'm stuck in a uh, I feel like I'm stuck in a Viewmaster. <laughs> that's pretty accurate. Essentially, that's showing me a, a, a terrible band. Um, <laughs> but uh, but that's okay. I can look up as well and see the rafters. Actually, the rafters above the stage. Kind of exciting. One and, of the... uh, where was this recorded? Do you know? This I actually like don't in the know. UK somewhere. No. It's like a giant uh, uh, festival, UK festival. Wow, I'm staring at people, uh, this is very surreal, I'm staring at people taking pictures of the band with their cell phones, but I'm in virtual reality. I feel like <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in the future here. So this is, so this is, uh, so this is just an interactive recording, and this was done with uh, a jaunt or a 360-degree camera. I'm actually not sure what hardware they used to make it, but you just said something interesting. This is actually not that interactive. Um, right. There's nothing you can do to this thing to actually change the flow of the video, and in fact, uh, one of the most uh, disconcerting things about this to me is that there, this video uses jump cuts. Right, and you had mentioned that jump cuts make people nauseated or disoriented. That's what I found so far, yeah. How are you feeling? Um, I feel fine. So uh, in the last podcast, uh, uh, Noah and I spoke about quite a bit about sim sickness and the mm -hmm. fact that this makes that this makes some people feel very nauseous, mm -hmm. and no one's really figured out why that is. I've heard a couple of different people have you know, different ideas that, uh, one of the leading theories is because, um, the human mind uses so much of its, uh, vision in order to register where the body is located. Yes. That if the system starts controlling that, uh, controlling everything that you see, even your peripheral vision, that it completely mucks around with your, uh, uh, inner ear. Right. 
And so there are a couple different companies that are doing experiments with uh, uh, augmented reality headsets. There's a, a company called Meta uh, that's building a product called Space Glasses. Okay. Um, and so I'm curious to see how much uh, augmented reality uh, fully immersive headsets improve that problem. Another thing that's really interesting about this is the uh, there's a company that is working on doing a pass-through. Um, what does that mean? So they're, they're taking a little bitty camera and mounting it to the front of the Rift and then patching that through into the system, um, basically creating a kind of fake augmented reality experience by just you know patching through the video uh, being taken on the front of the camera or in the front of the Rift back through the, the screens in the Rift itself. Okay. Uh, there's a, another experiment, and I wish I could remember what the name of the person was that did it, and I apologize. Um, but they were using these things to do these out-of-body experiences so that you had two people uh, equipped in the Rift with these uh, forward-facing cameras mounted on them, and the other person's feed was being fed into your Rift. So you were basically uh, having an out-of-body experience transported into the uh -huh. other person's chair. I saw that. I, that was on the verge, I believe. That yeah. Was, uh, that was very exciting. Yeah, yeah. So I definitely feel like... Uh... Okay, I'm, I'm looking at a guy who looks like Bill from the first Bill and Ted movie, uh, uh, smacking something with a drumstick. That's pretty awesome. But uh, so this is definitely interesting. I definitely get this, you know, certainly a demo feeling from this. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm in a, uh, you know, I'm certainly, uh, it feels a little bit like a, like a psychedelic trip a little bit, just in the fact that I, everywhere I, that I'm moving my head and seeing this simulated uh, neon reality everywhere around me. Mm -hmm. Um I certainly feel like I'm I'm looking into the future, but it's half realized and it's full of people that I wouldn't normally associate with, <laughs> which kind of defeats the point, right? But but well, uh, I don't know. It, it isn't, <laughs> isn't half the fun of these virtual reality fantasies to put yourself in somebody else's shoes? Well, absolutely. That's a fascinating point, right? I mean, when I, when I first uh, started uh, reading about this, my initial experience or, or reaction was th this is going to allow people to have not just, you know, not just through art, but to actually have experiences of other human beings that they would never be able to um, experience, you know, when the, within the confines of their own life. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah. the, the potential for for uh, uh, empathy, the ability to empathize with other people's experiences is amazing. I mean, that's that's really what human beings have been trying to do since the invention of writing mm -hmm. and or, or art prior to that, right, mm -hmm. is, is, is represent what it feels like to be another human being. Well, but it, now it's going to be a lot closer to actually experiencing what that is. It, it is funny, though, because the the Google Glass, you know, Google Glass, I think, has more uh, of a direct kind of a first-person storytelling uh, capacity to it because it is that camera that's mounted pretty much right over your eye. Um, so to have somebody be able to, to take a film of what their day-to-day -day life is like, what it literally feels like to walk through um, their life, that feels like a real transportation into somebody else's body, right? Right. Where this thing lights me up. You okay? Yes. So I've just taken it <laughs> off. I'm not sure where I am now. I'm sitting back in reality. I'm not sure <laughs> if it's actually still virtual reality or not. I may be in a Philip K. Dick story. Welcome to the Matrix. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I feel slightly, I don't feel nauseous, but I, my eyes feel uh, uh, like I've just been staring into a fluorescent light tube. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel a little disoriented. Nothing major. Though. Okay. Um, but what I'm, what I think that the rift is going to create is the ability to transport yourself into, into other places. So we've been right. talking a bit about. Um, Ooh, let me catch, catch my bearings. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, we've we've been talking a little bit about uh, 360 degree journalism, collapsing collapsing the uh, the distance that's kind of inherent in 
watching a news story on your television, right? Right. So if the Rift actually allows you to um, to go into some other place on the other side of the planet, uh, potentially even through a live stream, um, then I think that actually lets you uh, collapse that cognitive distancing right. that you would otherwise get just by watching a, a news stream on your TV from right. your couch. That is absolutely fascinating. We were talking about that uh, a little bit before we started the podcast. Mm-hmm. And people are working on that. There's a woman named Nani De La Pena who's working yep. on immersive journalism. And, uh, and she had created a simulator where you can uh, experience what it's like to be a Syrian war refugee. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that is um, that's intense. That's intense, right? Sure. Now, what I just saw, um, there was at no point in what I was looking at was I confused as to that it was not a, a screen. Mm-hmm. It was very obviously a, uh, a pixelated monitor. Um, you know, it was obvious. You know, I could see the edges of the screen. I can't really have it. I don't really have a sense that you could lose um, your suspension of disbelief in one of those things. I don't know, man. It's kind of like, do you lose your suspension of disbelief just when you're reading a page, like a page on a book? If the story is enough, you know, your brain will overcome that kind of uh, constraints. Of well, the sure, in terms of the narrative, but you sure. don't you don't forget that you're in the you know not not you know you're not going to totally forget that you're in the real world. You know, you will to some extent, but uh, you're not going to forget that you're reading a book. Right. I mean, it, it's just degrees of immersion, right? You're never right. going to completely collapse that. Well, yeah, but I can imagine if that technology gets better, it may be a different story, but not quite yet, as from what I just saw. Mm-hmm. But how different is the DK2 to what I just saw? Well, the DK2, uh, the resolution of the screens is better, um, and there's there's one screen for each eye, which is what I mean by screens, um, which is what basically uses that Viewmaster effect that you mentioned a couple minutes ago. Uh, but it also uses a, an external camera to track the positioning of the, the headset, right? So the first one... I mentioned it has the accelerometer in it, kind of like a Wiimote, and it uh, hooks up to your computer with a, a USB connection um, in order to basically tell the system you know, how you're moving your head. The second one, has uh, its camera works more like a Kinect um, by tracking you know, little you know, tracking points on the headset itself to give you a more granular experience. Okay. Okay. So it's getting better. It is getting better. So we had talked about uh, we, we, you know, immersive journalism <laughs> and... Um, that's you know the most fascinating thing about this to me. And you had mentioned uh, what's it going to be like when when wartime experiences are captured and mm-hmm. shown to uh, you know uh, shown to people casually. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I don't see showing somebody war as ever casual. What do you mean? Well, in the sense of uh, a TV broadcast. Fair enough. All right. Right. Yeah. But uh, there's so many different aspects of this idea of telepresence. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the first is just like what we were just talking about. Like, okay. So I get the sense that there is this place on the other side of the planet that is being uh, uh, torn apart by war. Uh, I get that there are these people over there that this is their life. Um, but I don't really get it until I've actually set foot over there. And uh, you, have you ever you ever traveled someplace and then seen that place on the news later? And it's that weird cognitive ripple. And you're like, holy crap, I've actually been there. That place isn't just on TV. It's real. Right, right. Um, I remember uh, when I when I was in high school, um, I had visited the, the World Trade Center in New York. And then, you know, watching you know, 9-11 happen on TV, there was that very, very strange cognitive dissonance between, like, 
holy crap, I know exactly where that is. I, you know, I bought a bag of chips at the, the store, you know, under that building. Holy crap. Um, and I'm wondering if, if there's any of this that is still going to be able to be translated in the virtual reality space. And one of, one of the things we were talking about is um, if the Vietnam War was the first war that had been essentially televised, and that uh, uh, near unfiltered broadcast so to speak, was one of the major reasons why we, you know, we lost the Vietnam War. Well, in the um, sense that the middle class actually saw the effects of exactly. the war real time, as, whereas previously it had been an abstraction when you were just exactly. reading about it in the newspapers, when they actually saw the, the body bags mm -hmm. and soldiers, you know, of, of you know, young kids coming home, mm -hmm. that was what mobilized the middle class, uh, the, the anger of the middle class, which historically has been very, very hard to mobilize. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what... what, what cause so much protest against the war. So then what happens when this becomes the next stage of that, and where right. you put the headset on and you are literally, you know, not literally, but you, you, you feel like you are uh, literally in uh, downtown Israel. Right. And you, you look over your shoulder and there's a Starbucks there, and this is in real time, unfiltered. You know, what's that going to feel like? You know, we're a ways from having an infrastructure that will allow you to have that kind of a 360-degree broadcast, you know, to uh, middle of nowhere, Ohio. Um, but you can feel that it's coming. And then is, will it be the case that, um, just like in Vietnam, how you made that jump from newspapers to television had a radical impact on how we understood what was going on? Um, will the will newspapers be to television as television is to virtual reality you know, in the next war that's broadcast in VR? Right. <clears throat> yeah, I'm imagining large uh, numbers of Americans sitting at home watching you know, Iraq three U.S. versus ISIS uh, in uh, in their in their oculuses, and and I'm imagining uh, the fallout of an entire culture getting PTSD from be, be, getting too, a little too close of a simulation. Maybe what's deeply weird about this whole thing is uh, when we start using the exact same hardware and more immersive hardware uh, to experience you know the the, the long distance virtual reality news um, as we do our next generation video games so will those lines just become even more blurred well i hadn't even thought of that especially when you think of how much the military uses uh military games mm -hmm. to train like america's army for instance to train um uh, well, or rather entrain the war experience into young people who later become military recruits mm -hmm. um yeah What's that going to be like when, you know, the fantasy of the fantasy and the reality of war uh, so collapse closely conflate? Yeah. Right. Or even when you think about, you know, all the, the drone pilots in mm -hmm. Nevada who are essentially playing video games and remote controlling uh, um, drones. Mm -hmm. And I understand there, there have already been a lot of military applications for the Oculus for oh, specifically these reasons. The new version of the, the, parrot, uh, the parrot drone uh, will actually bolt to a rift. So you can uh, get That's virtual reality screen. Though, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what I'm, I'm saying is that you know that technology is less than six months out, right? Right. That's, and that's, that's, a, that's so if that's at the consumer level, presumably the military already Absolutely, has that. Yeah. Yeah, Oculus drone piloting. That's uh, that's a little dystopian. Just a little. Well, you you want to get really dystopian? Sure, uh, please. What happens? <laughs> what's the potential for the rift for propaganda? So if you are being told that you know this is a live stream, you know from this particular location. So imagine that the official government uh, feed from a place is actually not the true you know, feed from that place. It's a feed from a sound stage, a sound stage, <laughs> yeah, out in the back of Hollywood, right? 
So it, it makes well, the, the moon landing start looking like a, a, a real... <laughs> so, yeah, I hadn't even considered that. Or, or well, not even, even if it's not just staged, but simply, um, you know, you know uh, editing by omission or the mm-hmm. nicer parts of, of events are shown mm-hmm. uh, in the same way that, you know, we get sanitized versions of, of war in the mainstream media mm-hmm. as opposed to when you look at, uh, uh, you know, blog sources or Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it'll, I, I assume that as the, uh, you know, certainly as the 360-degree camera technology becomes cheaper, um, I can see hand-in-hand hand with that, um, you know, citizen journalists, activists, and, and anybody really recording their own um, experiences of reality and putting them out on the net. Sure. You know, in whatever the successor to YouTube is for this, or well, like I, like I said a couple of minutes ago, you can already see the the, the betas for that um, with the Google Glass videos. Okay, people are taking it's like this is what it feels like to jump out of a plane wearing Google Glass. This is what it feels like to right. uh, go travel across the country using Google Glass. And there are um, you you can find the backpack and pictures of the backpacks out there from from Google that have the big three hundred sixty degree cameras you know, uh-huh. up on top of them that they're using just to to take that kind of uh, those photographs and put them out through things like Street View, um, which is where uh, some of their more uh, fascinating uh, kinds of storytelling experiences. Um, I think it was uh, it was Night in Montmartre uh, that was the the one that they did, where you were walking through uh, the French city at night. Oh, the, this is the was was it, there was a tus- the Tuscany simulator. No, the Tuscany one was the one that the Oculus did. Okay. That, that's their demo for the Rift. Now, this was that one that Google actually did, where you're using kind of the the, the Street View kind of thing to walk through this. French city at night, and it's giving you ah. this tour of all the art and the music and things that are going on around you. I mean, that's very clearly where a lot of this stuff is going very quickly. Wow. So it's a very, this, I, I just imagine the future becoming more and more fragmented as, uh, you know, everyone is just essentially broadcasting their realities at each other. And, and there's so many conflicting realities and, and perspectives on reality. And that's different than writing time. books how? Well, sure, but it's it's just becoming more and more accessible because not everyone has the patience to write a book, but uh, many people have the you know the five minutes five minutes it takes to record a YouTube, right? There, so uh, it's almost. I mean, it's it's very much like Strange Days. I'm sure you've seen that movie, of course. right? <laughs> Fascinating. Okay, so um, so. From maybe from an entertainment perspective, how do you see this? Instead of just journalism, how do you see this shaking up, uh, you know, film and television? Well, um, the film and television industry is being radically disrupted across the board, right? I mean, you're, you're seeing these these vast changes in how media and entertainment are being made, being consumed, being distributed, being financed um, across everything from. The new screens, the new creators and makers, the new funding and business models. Uh, all these things are things we're studying at the lab right now. Okay. Um, this is just a part of it. Uh, and this is only one part of the kind of new screens research that we're doing. Right? So over the course of last year, I've conducted prototypes on how to tell stories with 3D printers, with smart objects, with connected homes, connected cities, uh, uh, Google Glass. Uh, we've done some of that, too. Okay. Um, so the virtual reality is only one part of it. Um, and I think that much the same way that, you know, Again, you know, video didn't exactly kill the radio star. We will still have, you know, film and television moving forward. This will just be another piece in the ecosystem. Got it. Got it. So you don't see this killing off uh, traditional media. And, and frankly, after experiencing it, I'm not sure I do either because it's a very different 
and slightly disorienting experience. It's, 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 it's not better than, it's simply different. For now. Okay. Um, when the tech gets a little bit better, um, then we're going to have to start, we're going to have to figure out what is it about this experience that is inherently uh, sickening. Right for the same reason that some people just get sick watching 3D movies that oh, will always be physically, physically, physically sick, ill, right? right? And any medium. Have you watched people get sick from this? My wife gets sick from all kinds of this stuff. My wife can't watch 3D movies. Now I am I had I you know Noah had mentioned to me and I have read um, that uh, women seem to get um, sick or experience sim sickness after using the Oculus mm-hmm. uh, 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 much more frequently than men. Uh, even with the, you know, I was testing the Google Cardboard the other day with several people, and the women who used it, you know, definitely felt nauseous afterwards. And that was even just with the Google Cardboard. So um, I don't know if you if that's the if you if you think that's the case, or is that something that's been inflated in the media? Maybe? And it hasn't borne out in my own experiences with showing my my work to people, but okay. I, I'm not going to say it's it's not true. I just can't say I can't speak to it one way or the other. So you just think it's totally random as to who gets sick. I honestly don't know. And that, right. That's why I think it's so interesting that then it's something that we're going to have to figure out. Because if it is the case that something like 20 to 30% of people just get sick when, you know, these kind of screens are, you know, they're right next to your eye, and if the flicker rate doesn't fix it, uh, if the, um, the, the, the refresh rate doesn't fix it, um, if that's just the way that it is, you know, size right. of the screen, whatever, I mean, you could create a, a complete inverted dome, you know, kind of a screen that's kind of like an inside of a motorcycle helmet, and right. it still makes them sick. Okay. Um, then you're just dealing with an inherent constraint of the medium that might prevent it from ever achieving, you know, pure mainstream adoption. Wow. Um, and that's that's just one of the affordances of the, of the device. So nobody knows whether that's, you know, so so this entire, you know, VR future could potentially hit a very large roadblock. Well, there the are future. a lot of very smart people, you know, a lot of people smarter than I am out there working on this problem right now. And again, smelling $2 billion from Facebook, I'm sure they're getting a lot of grants. Right. <laughs> So hopefully so. Yeah. Uh, no, I'll definitely say that uh, I didn't get sick while I was wearing it, but I did not feel comfortable. It felt very, uh, and that's probably just because uh, I'm not used to it yet. It may have a breaking in period mm-hmm. where uh, a user needs to get used to it, but uh, it, it felt very unnatural and not totally comfortable. And that, that kind of yeah. went hand in hand with the fascination of seeing it. Which is kind of cool, right? Because if you think about the sort of, limitations that we overcome when we're watching television, right? The, the idea that you're looking at this screen, it's like, what, 40-odd inches on the diagonal, um, six feet away in your living room or whatever, and all of our attention is now being directed towards this little square of video in front of us. And we have learned that that's where, the, that's where that stuff is coming from. And we have learned that uh, the speakers around us are going to be playing music and dialogue and things from that video um, and we've learned to kind of tune out the sound of the cat next door and all these other things. I mean, we have, we have learned how to speak that language of that medium, so to speak. We will learn how to speak the language of VR in the same way that VR will learn to speak us. You know, the headsets, the ergonomics will get better. The screens will get better. The, the content is going to get a lot better. Okay. Um, and I think that that, more than anything else, is really going to drive adoption. Now, nobody right. ever bought an 8-bit Nintendo yeah. to have a bit of plastic sitting on top of their TV. They bought it for Mario Brothers. Right, and uh, just the killer app is not here Precisely. yet. Precisely. Right. We're getting closer, and we're getting closer all the time. Um, but And that, that's what I'm, I'm dying to see what it's going to be, right? Because in the same way that there are some stories that just work better 
uh, in one medium than another. Mm. Um, when people start figuring out what those affordances are for virtual reality to leverage in order to, to tell stories that can only be told in virtual reality, that's really where the medium is going to come into its own. Got it. Got it. Um, so what do you, what, where do you see this going? I mean, what, what's this going to be like? What's the roadmap ahead? You know, what's going to happen in the next year? Where do you think this is going to be in the next five years? Uh, what are the big hurdles, especially with, for instance, peripherals mm. that need to be jumped? Well, um, there are a lot of people out there that are playing with different implementations of this tech. Right, so Sony has its project Morpheus that, that they're working on. That'll be a, a peripheral to the Sony PlayStation Four. Right, and um, that's good, just probably just going to be for games. I doubt it. Okay, because um, so many of these, uh, uh, like I said, I used to work at Microsoft, right? Um, and the Xbox One is very clearly not just a video gaming system. I mean, that's why they call it the Xbox One, is it's meant to be the one box that you need in your living room for all of your content experiences. And so all of these things, you know, the PlayStation Four, the Xbox One, uh, Apple TV. Uh, all of these things are basically uh, Trojan horses, so to speak, in order for uh, uh, any kind of content to come over the internet, you know, OTT, you know, to, to users. And so I don't think in any way, shape, or form we can say that just because it is a peripheral to a video gaming system means that that's going to be its only use. So with that said, um, do you think that Sony is potentially trying to beat Oculus to the market and become the VR device? Because I've heard conflicting well, sure. things about that. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I've heard, you know, certainly people have been saying that that's the case, but publicly, you know, Paul Merlucky, the, the CEO of Oculus VR, has said that, you know, he, he is not threatened by the, the Morpheus at all, that they're essentially different uh, machines for different purposes. Uh, now, do you think that's do you think that's the reality of it, or is there really a, a, a behind-the-scenes competition going to see who can get to market first and... and and carve out the most market share. Well, technically, Rift has already made, beat, beat them to market. Because almost anybody can buy a DK now. Right. Not just Rift DK. Um, similarly, uh, Google's Cardboard. You know, pretty much anybody can go go get a bunch of cardboard, some scissors, and do that experience too. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I think that what we're seeing is a whole bunch of people trying to figure out, again, what those affordances of the medium are and what the medium will become, how to tell stories in the medium, how to create content for that medium. And in that case, you know, having more people uh, coming at it from different angles, you know, different experiments, you know, different, uh, throwing things at the wall to see what sticks, uh, that's good for everybody. Right. Um, and then and people will just kind of adjust you know, moving forward uh, to adopt, you know, best practices across the board, uh, and the the entire medium evolves. I mean, that's how a medium evolves. And same, you see this, uh, you saw the same thing in video games for the last thirty years. Sure. So, um, so how far out into the future do you think that point where best practices get adopted is? You know, are we talking about ten years of, of no. people throwing stuff against the wall? Five years? Three years? Well, there, there's a certain point past which uh, the evolution of media has accelerated, right? Um, so that you see certain common bits of language emerge in webisodes. And even though uh, the beautiful thing about video on the Internet is that they can be any length, you know, the length of a podcast, you know, it could be any length. Um, but some podcasts are an hour long. Others are you know, little snippets um, based on that content, right? And so, or, or, or what's appropriate for that content, I should say. Um, I, you saw the language of cinematography evolve over decades. Um, 
It's one of the most interesting things about, uh, if you go back and look at the history of film and television, uh, where people, what people thought a medium was going to be used for turned out to not necessarily be what that medium wound up being used for. I mean, right. Television was originally designed to be remote viewing, right? Um, we didn't know. How do you mean? Well, people would, uh, you know, set up a, the theory was you would set up a camera at some, like, uh, theater, right? And then stream that, you know, that live footage, you know, out to a television in much the same way that a telephone worked. Okay. Right? Um, and it wasn't until later that we started learning how to, quote, unquote, tell stories in television. Got and then there are all kinds of other constraints you know, that wind up you know, popping up to say, okay, what makes a sitcom ideally 30 minutes long? You know, what makes a drama you know, uh, an hour long? And then how much time do you leave in that for commercials? What are those beats? Um, and we're still mucking about what the affordances of these different story, uh, storytelling platforms are, which is where you get things like HBO, where you get things like BBC Sherlock. You know, it's not, and you can't just say that a TV series needs to be, you know, 20 episodes long over a season, and Sherlock pops up and says, heck no, we're going to do three 90-minute movies, you know, every couple of years, and, and all of us are like, yay, we'll take as much as you can possibly make. <laughs> Give us more <laughs> right, now. Right, right. Um, and so there are, there is a, there is a language of media that evolves over time. And actually, uh, if you go back and you look at the history of cinematography, a lot of that only starts to come into play when uh, criticism shows up, right? So if you go back and you look at the history of film, the language of you know, mise-en-scene, of uh, jump cuts, things like that, um, tended to arise out of, you know, from the critics. Interesting. Because uh, they would be writing about what these different filmmakers were doing that was really working, what they thought about it. And then other filmmakers would go in and read that and say, that's really interesting. That's the language that we're using you know, mm. to, to communicate that back and forth. And that's what, that, what, that's what I might adopt. Okay. And so one of the reasons why I think the evolution of media is happening so much faster now or that the refinement of media is happening so much faster now is because of things like the Internet. Um, because we will jump on blogs like yours, listen to podcasts like yours, and you know, kind of communicate to each other through these kinds of things. And even faster media like Twitter. Right. right. Um, when a new piece of media drops, everybody's like, holy crap, I didn't know you could do that. Have you guys seen this? I mean, 30 seconds after that thing is first dropped, you know, somebody's tweeting about it, and the rest of the Twitter sphere is going bonkers. So I think that acceleration is going to wind up with a much uh, uh, shorter feedback loop, right. so to speak. And so... To give you an answer as to actually how long it's going to take, who knows? I mean, we, we're, we're probably still going to be figuring this thing out for decades. Um, but I do think that we're going to wind up with some extremely interesting you know, mainstream experiences probably within the next uh, 18 months at the outside. And that's, that's an incredibly short period of time. Absolutely. And I just imagine this, um, uh, even in crude implementation, I just imagine this uh, flooring people. When it's when it first starts coming out into consumer adoption, oh yeah, I, I truly like this is this is potentially the biggest, well certainly the biggest. Um, what what? Let's see, uh, uh, certainly the biggest technology upgrade since mobile phones, and probably since the the web. We we did an event here at the beginning of the school year called the Taste of Annenberg, um, where all these different uh, student organizations and, and labs and people you know set up tables you know, for the new incoming students to just walk through and get a taste of you know what everybody's doing. And so I, I took this sucker out there, um, set up the very demo that you saw, the 360-degree music video, um, and had you know, students just put it on and try it out you know, mm. and then you know, pass on to the next kid and try it out. And the string of squeals <laughs> and delighted, like, holy crap, you guys have to try this, is, wow. was, uh, was astonishing. I mean, that, that more than anything else. Was that across the board? People oh, yeah. People were having the same reaction? Yeah. yeah. 
Um, I wound up giving that demo nonstop for about three hours out in Los Angeles sun, and I wound up overheating my computer. Oh. And uh, and people were ticked because I had to turn them away in droves because the, the, the machine just died. Wow. And right? were people getting sick? No. Nobody got sick. There were a couple of people that kind of did what you did, right? You, okay. know, you take the headset off and you kind of blink and you're like, whoa. <laughs> um, but at the same time, uh, I, and I kept asking people, like, how do you feel? Are you okay? Are you all right? Um, and yeah, almost all of them were, were perfectly fine. I wonder if younger people are going to adapt to this much quicker. I don't know. Because theoretically, in, unless you subscribe to some theory of you know, brain elasticity, um, I'm not sure that there's anything necessarily that's a learn. This is one of the more interesting things about virtual reality. Virtual reality is actually a much more natural UI and UX, user interface and user experience, than a video game. You know, video games, you know, especially the more complicated ones, I grew up with video games. I grew up in the 8-bit Nintendo, you know, Commodore 64. Oh, me as well. oh, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, but I took off a generation, right? So um, I think it was the, the Nintendo 64. I skipped the Nintendo 64 because I actually felt that the graphics were a step back, mm-hmm. uh, even though the, I got the appeal of all the, the, the uh, 360 degree space, so to speak, in that, um, as opposed to the 2D, you know, the, the 3D instead of the 2D kind of interfaces of like, you know, old Mario Brothers 3 versus Super Mario uh, Galaxy. Uh, what was it called? Super Mario 3D? Do you remember what the... Or the it was Super Mario 64? Mario 64. Mario 64, right. Yeah. Um, and I, I understood the appeal of you know, running around that polygonal, polygonally rendered mm-hmm. space, but I thought that the graphics were a step back, so I just took the generation off. I came back when, like, the Xbox 360 dropped. Right. And it was like, who put all these extra buttons on my controller? Right. <laughs> so I had to learn how to, how to speak the language of video games again. You don't have that many buttons so to speak, on these kinds of interfaces. And that's really what's fascinating about this. Much like Siri and these other, you know, what they call NUI or the natural user interfaces, um, that's what this stuff is moving towards a lot faster. Um, you so, mean a vocal, a vocal interface? No, I mean uh, interfaces that don't have buttons. I uh, mean, what would, that, what would that look like? Oh, it's going to look like that 360-degree uh, treadmill uh, to walk around. Uh, it's going to be the, the gloves. It's going to be the, the power gloves. The, the gloves, the rings, actually, um, more cameras that are you know that are looking at you, and yeah, I think that we're going to wind up with uh, a lot of voice control. Okay. Stuff. The iWatch this morning has a mic built into it, so you can actually talk into your watch, old Dick Tracy style, and you have Siri <laughs> built into your watch. Uh, fascinating, fascinating. Yeah. Well, I have to thank you for that experience. I'm not sure it was exactly what I expected, but I definitely feel like I've had a DMT trip where I've been teleported into another dimension. Where I saw not uh, self-transforming machine elves, but a terrible English boy band. <laughs> and that, that, that's a totally new uh, experience for me. And uh, uh, I, I hope that uh, everyone listening to this, if you haven't experienced one of these, uh, uh, I look forward to the first time you're able to experience it because it, it's 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 coming. There is a wide range of experiences out there that people should try out. Uh, the uh, the guys that did uh, hardware computer, the guys that did Kentucky Route Zero. Um, have a game that is essentially you put it on and you're on a stage and you're looking at these two people having a conversation and that's the name of the project it's the conversation um, these two people having a talk at a bar and then you turn around and you realize that there's an audience behind you I mean that's one of the really nifty experiments in this space mm-hmm. uh, the the disclosure uh, latch music video is another really interesting experiment and these things are just coming down the pike faster and faster wow so come on back in six months we'll we'll talk about what you that would be then. great all right well Jeffrey thank you very much for uh... For, for talking to me and sharing the, uh, the my first Oculus Rift experience. I was honored to be a part of it. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you.